everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Piecing Together the Next 15 Years in Computing Education. Here we're talking with computing education researchers from across the country and around the globe. We're examining the biggest questions researchers should be tackling in the field over the next decade and a half. I'm Chris O'Donnell, Associate Professor of Practice in the Department of Engineering Education at the University at Buffalo. And today we're looking at the issue of research to practice, how to bridge the gap between computing education research and its application in the classroom. And I'm joined now by Dr. Monica McGill. She is the founder and president of the nonprofit organization CSEDResearch.org. Thanks so much for joining us today, Monica. Thanks for having me, Chris. So let's talk a little bit about your area of expertise, studying how people learn and how people teach computing. And one of the things you focus on is getting that research in the hands of teachers, of the practitioners. But you've had some challenges with that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I don't know if there's so much problems as this is a new way of thinking and a new way to really address the problems of practice that teachers are experiencing in the classrooms in this new subject area, right? So all the policies across various states are changing and computer science education is quickly going into K the K through 12 space. So what does that mean as far as best practices for teaching students how to, for example, kindergartners, how to learn about computer science? So it's still in the early stages and we've never seen anything like this before, right? So we're training up all these teachers all at the same time to uh, get them into the classrooms teaching something to students that we think may look like computer science. So as we go along doing that, there's a a definite early need to understand which practices are working and which aren't, and um, relying on the evidence that teachers are witnessing in their own classrooms is going to be important. Uh, but also, again, getting that research completed and turning it over to uh, the practitioners in a way that they can understand it is equally as important. Let's talk about what some of the the obstacles are. Why is there up to this point, and you said it's 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 not really a problem, it's a refocus, but why do you think that disconnect has been there? I'm not sure in other fields what they're experiencing. So for example, in if we take a comparable space like K-12 math education, is there an immediate need to get math education research findings directly into the hands of math teachers? Well, maybe not because their curriculum has already been built on decades of research that's already been conducted. Computer science is completely different. We don't have that those decades of research findings that say this curriculum is best for first graders or fifth graders or eighth graders. We're slowly starting to get there with the, er, the later grades, but the early, earlier grades especially are the ones that we just don't have the information yet. And do you find, though, that like with educators and teachers, they're, they're in the classroom, and is there a bit of a resistance because the researchers are on the outside and they're in the classroom day to day? So do you see there is a little bit of a resistance there, do you think, to, to researchers coming in? Or maybe a, a lack of understanding? Or how do you see that relationship? Yeah, so I think that the one thing that we have to be aware of as researchers is that there is often a level of distrust, um, and rightly so, from practitioners and teachers who don't feel that researchers are fully in touch with what their lived experiences are in the classroom. So we approach things differently in more of a sterile environment often and say, and then go to them and tell them, okay, this is what works best. 
And they may look at that and be like, um, no, it doesn't, because this is so impractical for my students and what we're experiencing in my classroom, that this is way off the mark. So we can help avoid that situation by starting to work with teachers more and develop that trust and to make sure that we are reframing our research so that it places um, practitioners at a higher level. And what I mean by that is as researchers, we support practitioners. We also support other researchers, but by keeping the information in our own little bubble and not really stepping out and making sure that we're connecting with teachers and understanding their uh, lived problems of practice teaching CS, then that's problematic for us. And what are some of the ways that you feel you can reach educators? You can reach the practitioners. What are some ways to cross that that divide? Yeah, I think it's really going to take researchers and understanding that they have to step out of the research space to reach the practitioners. And one of the ways that we can do this and one of the areas that we've been looking at is how do we support, for example, and get more researchers to attend the Computer Science Teachers Association, because where you'll have thousands of teachers flocking to this conference, this is a perfect place to both attend sessions put on by teachers and learn what they're experiencing, talk to them, network with them, and also to present our research findings in a way that practitioners can can grasp. They don't need to know every little statistic and effect size and, you know, all of those things. They want, what are the takeaways from their your research and how can they apply that in their classroom? And you talked about the example of math and that's something that's been around for a long, long time. But when you look at CS education, it's not just the researchers, it's not just the teachers, but it's librarians, it's other people involved and the practitioner level. Then you have the global level of universities that are, you know, employing these researchers. So it really is a much different field, isn't it, than, than some of the others that are out there and some of the long established ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, we we still have a, a dearth of computer science education researchers. We just have to grow junior researchers in this space to uh, be using solid methods uh, so that their findings are solid and that can really um, look at the practices that teachers are employing and how they're doing it and how it can be improved. So um, I'm experiencing that right now. I feel that I know that there's a shortage of computer science education researchers, and that is a whole another area that has to be addressed so we can um, work more effectively to find those practices and then get them to the practitioners. Because it's such a new field and it's constantly evolving and constantly changing and it affects all of our lives, why do you think that is? Why is there, I don't want to say a shortage, but there aren't as many as you would think there, there would be, considering the impact of computer science and computing on all of us? Yeah, yeah. Um, right now, there's still a lot of computer science folks who are going in on the re education research side. And education research typically doesn't pay as well as, you know, software development. Um, so I think that that's one area that really we need to look at to say that, yes, that computer science education researchers are as worthy of getting the pay or similar pay in some instances to um, computer science folks who are doing education research, because basically they're doing the same thing in many cases. I think another thing is to look at the folks that are getting pushed aside in the education research space 
and why that's happening. For example, um, problems with reviews, paper reviews, peer reviews um, of articles, panels, workshops, all of those good things, and who is and who isn't whose research is and isn't being accepted. For example, I will give you many of the studies that we're doing right now are qualitative in, in nature. Um, and for many reasons, there's resistance of seeing qualitative research published in our space. Um, so there's definitely a bias towards quantitative with the assumption that quantitative is neutral, which we know it isn't. It's the perspective, both quantitative and qualitative reflect the perspectives of researchers, and that should be acknowledged in both cases. So as we go along and do research, um, I will also say that another area, another area of group of folks who are getting excluded, and I know I have papers excluded in the past because we focused on gender, right? So, um, and this was in early stages of the work, not so much now, I don't see that, but you know, there were comments back on papers where this, why are you looking to see what the gender differences are? We shouldn't care about that, right? Should, we should just be teaching all students. And it's like, I'm sorry, but the field is very, very male. When I was going to college, it was not, right? There were 40% of the women there and 40% of the folks attending were women and getting their degrees in computer science. So something shifted and it wasn't that became women became dumber or not able to do the work or whatever the case is that people like to say. This is also true then, of course, for any marginalized folks that are being in the field of education research who don't feel comfortable sharing their research in certain spaces and have vowed never to publish an X, Y, or Z ever again. And we're losing them and they're qualified. They're doing excellent work. And how are we going to change our practice in the research field to make sure that their work on populations that I as a white woman can't go in and study in an effective manner, that their work is published and shared with others? And this is something that your nonprofit, csedresearch.org, is focused on. The main thing is getting that research in the hands of practitioners. So as we've talked about, this is a longitudinal thing. It's going to take some time. But are you seeing inroads being made? Are you seeing small successes working in that direction? It is moving a little bit in that direction. I think that, you know, just talking about it and bringing it up as a point that we need to address in our field is helpful. Um, you know, such as this podcast, right? Making sure that people are aware that this is a problem and we need to really rethink that we need to support, especially the K-12 teachers and not do convenient research, right? But really build those relationships up with K-12 practitioners, understand those problems of practice that they, they face every day, and then work with them to solve those issues. And it seems like it's not, as we, as we talked about, not only the practitioners, but the entire field needs support. The researchers need support, the practitioners need support, the students need support. And it really is, back to that word global, but it really is kind of a global enterprise, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And if you look at it from all of those perspectives, you'll start to see that I think that the, these are just growing pains of a new field coming in and um, all of the needs are there, but not all of the solutions. So, and on many levels, trying to figure out what those needs are so we can actually tackle the solutions is kind of where we as a, as a team, our CSEdResearch.org are really um, situated right now. 
So the last question I have is we've talked about how this is a long-term strategy. This is a long-term goal. But let's talk about the the immediate. So what are some of the things that can be done in the immediate future to move in that direction for, for CSED researchers? I think there are several things that we can do in our research to bring this uh bring our research that we're finding to practitioners. Um, One of them is we obviously, and I I already mentioned this already, to reframe our thinking so that the practitioners are front and center of everything that we do from the research design to who's included in the study to how we disseminate the research. Um, Another way is to, again, seek out where the teachers are and the practitioners are so we can start to network with them and build those relationships. And then another is just to reframe the thinking around research for research sake and what we're trying to do. And I'll give you just a very, very brief example. I was at a conference earlier this year, and it's a very, a little bit exclusive conference. And I felt that the researchers there would like to keep it exclusive, which is fine quality-wise, right? But if we don't think about the research that's not being shared and we think about the need of all these students in the U.S. alone, it's 55 million students that we're trying to reach, we can't do that with maybe 10 research articles a year. That's not practical. So how do we build up spaces, not only where we can share the research among researchers, but also share the research among practitioners? And as you said, a teacher is not going to have the time to read a 30-page journal article and get through the more technical language, research-oriented language. That's just not something you have to meet them where they are. Correct. And that's not where most practitioners are, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there is an interest um, among lots of teachers who want to know what these best practices are. And being able to share with them, not only, I think we, we may have mentioned this earlier, but I can't remember, but this was with research showing that second and third graders are basically girls are being turned off that early in computing. So if that's the case, everything else is catch up, right? We have to counter these negative effects in the middle school and high school. And I think that having teachers understand that that's a whole different mind shift for them because they know that it's first of all it's not them right it's not them and second then they can start to figure out okay resource wise and curriculum wise what do what do they need to do to really not just get girls interested but get them to overcome all these negative stereotypes that they've been experiencing and internalizing over the last five or six years So it does help them in that regard, even though they don't have a solution, right? Teachers are very smart. They know what they're doing in the classroom and even having that knowledge that it's not just them and they, they need to, you know, try different strategies to engage girls more will help them in their classroom. Anything else I've left out, Monica, that you want to add? No, I think that's it. Thank you for having me, Chris. All right. Thank you for joining me. That is Dr. Monica McGill, founder and president of the nonprofit CSEDResearch.org. Thanks again for joining us as we examine the biggest questions facing computing education over the next 15 years. This material is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant numbers 2039833 and 2039848. 
Any opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation. Check out other podcasts on our website for more computing education topics like these. I'm Chris O'Donnell. See you next time.